think many have the same sentiment collectively this week as our country delved further into depravity in which New York said an infant could be killed even up to the day of birth and thought, is there any hope for this country? You know that there is hope for this country until the Lord comes back, amen? And you know where that hope is? Actually, I'm looking at it. It's in us. As we go forth and fulfill the mission that Jesus gave us to change one life and one heart at a time through the transforming power of Jesus and His Word. Amen? Turn with me to Luke chapter 13. <coughs> message this morning is loosed on the Sabbath. I mentioned this morning in the assembly this passage has an especial, or a special place in my heart. A, I've always loved the Gospel of Luke. I love this miracle of Jesus, but it was one of the first three messages I preached at Liberty, and I thought the folks were going to have a heart attack when I ran down the middle of the aisle at Liberty Baptist Church, talking about how this lady likely responded after Jesus healed her. So, the loose on the Sabbath. Any of you like my wife love a good jigsaw puzzle? I see Miss Brenda shaking her head no, like me. Uh-uh. That thing is nothing but torture. That's what these things are. You know why? Because you ever come across a, a piece, Miss Brenda, that just don't fit? <coughs> now when it don't fit, how can you best figure out how to make it fit? Is it to view it from the ground, from this perspective, and go, well, let me see, how can I get this thing to fit? Best is to step back and look at it from the air, isn't it? See the shape of it, see the color of it, maybe compare it to the box and figure out how it fits. Have you ever come across a Bible passage that didn't seem to fit? You had a hard time seeing why it's where it's at. You see, if we really look at Luke 13, 10 to 21, all the way through, not just the healing, but then the two parables, it seems like there's one miracle and two parables side by side that don't fit. One doesn't have anything to do with the other and vice versa. But if we'll see it from the air, it makes perfect sense. Let me illustrate with this. In Mystery on the Desert, Maria Ricci describes a series of strange lines made by the Nazca in the plains of Peru. Some of them cover many square miles, and for years people thought they were irrigation ditches because they were looking at them from the ground. Then, in 1939, Dr. Paul Kosick of Long Island University discovered their meaning could only be seen viewed from the air. When you viewed those same things that looked like irrigation ditches from an airplane, these random lines were actually enormous drawings of birds, insects, and animals. Do you see the application? In the same way people think the Bible is just individual, unconnected stories, we very rarely look at it from Genesis to Revelation and see Scripture as a whole from the air that it's one great story of redemption, it's one great story of a kingdom and King Jesus coming to reestablish His rule on earth that man lost in the garden. 
So Luke 13, 10 to 21, viewed from the ground, it's just an awesome healing in two unrelated parables, the mustard seed and the leaven. Yet the same story, if we view it from the air, is an amazing, beautiful picture of the kingdom of God. And so if you think of this section as dealing with the kingdom of God, it'll make a lot more sense. This week we're going to focus on the healing, the kingdom of God manifested, rejected, and defended. And in two weeks we'll focus in on the parables the kingdom of God illustrated. So stand with me to honor the reading of God's holy and perfect word. Luke 13. We're going to read 10 through 17 this morning. Now he, Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. The Word of God of the people of God and the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day. Father, I just pray that you will get me out of the way. You will help me to decrease, and Father, you would increase through me. Father, that you would speak through me and that, Father, we would get Jesus up this morning. That we would first and foremost glorify him. And, Father, we would come to understand more in depth the kingdom that he has brought here on earth. Thank you so much for King Jesus, Father. Thank you he's seated at your right hand. Father, thank you that him coming back and, Father, the kingdom being consummated is as good as done. And you know why that is? Because you said that it will come to pass. And so, Father, we rest upon your word today. Father, forgive us in the many ways in which we fail you and bless the remainder of this service. For it's in Jesus' righteous and precious name we pray. Amen. So let's look first at the kingdom of God manifested. Look first at verse 10. Now he, Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Let me ask you, I think I've said it before, but do you know what subject did Jesus teach on the most? Numero uno. People are confused about this over and over. The number one answer I hear people say is money. He taught on that a lot. Some would say that the number one subject he taught on was hell. But the number one subject that he taught on was actually the kingdom of God. And so when you hear that phrase, the kingdom of God, if you hear me or Jimmy say that, what comes to mind if you read it in the Bible, do you really know what it means? I think if you went to the average Christian and asked them that, they wouldn't have much of a clue. Or you'd get a rainbow of answers. It'd be all over the place. In a nutshell, I'm going to give you two words and then I'm going to kind of give you some phrases you can write down. In a nutshell, two words, it's reign and rule. Reign, not R-A-I-N, it's R-E-I-G-N. So when you hear the kingdom of God, what should come to mind is this. The rule of God, 
or the reign of God in human hearts. So an easy definition is this. Wherever God rules over the human heart as king, there is the kingdom of God established. Jesus rules over my heart as king, and so the kingdom of God is established in me. Jesus rules over Kevin's heart, and therefore the kingdom of God is established in him. But one day it's going to be the entire planet is his kingdom. It's going to be a literal, physical, not right now it is spiritual. So let me give you some quick things, the who, the what, the when that Jesus taught on this kingdom of God before we get into the miracle. The who. It's Him. Himself and His teachings. Think of this. Authority and Lord. What? Redemption. I think we think the fact that Jesus saved us is that we just get a hell insurance fire policy that we get to put in the back of our pocket. But thank the Lord it's more than that. As we looked at this morning, He's a chain breaker. You've got pain, He'll take it. You don't know the way to go, He'll show you the way. If you're in chains, He'll break them and set you free. Being saved is more than just getting out of hell free card. It is that Jesus came to free me from all the garbage that I need freed from in my life. And so He has authority in my life. He's Lord of my life. And He has liberated me. He has loosed me. So that's the who and the what. The when is this. It's already and not yet. Jesus said, what? The kingdom of God is here. It's at hand. But yet in Luke twenty-two eighteen, 18, He says, I will not drink of the fruit of this vine until when? The kingdom comes. You see, it's already here, but not yet. And so viewed from the ground, this is a healing in the synagogue on the Sabbath, but viewed from the air, it's about Jesus as King and that He has authority. And so who are the religious leaders putting their authority in? Jesus or tradition and religion? And that's why He comes healing on the Sabbath to show them the right use of the Sabbath. And that the kingdom is about relationship, not religion. Amen? And the kingdom is primarily about this. Let's put all this other garbage that we argue about that really to me does not mean a hill of beans theologically. Let's get this right and we'll have a whole lifetime of getting stuff right. Let's learn to love God and love people. And if you can get that right, then you are set on the road correctly. So had Israel and her leaders been listening and learning? We're going to find out they hadn't. What they needed to do is they needed to interpret the weather, as Jesus said, because the kingdom of God was at hand and they needed to line themselves up under the authority of King Jesus, which brings to this point. Have you lined yourself up under King Jesus? Am I lining myself up under King Jesus? The fact that He has authority in my life is not a one-time decision that happened at Liberty Baptist Church when I said, Lord, You have authority over my life and therefore I'm going to follow You in believer's baptism and now I'm done with You. It is that Jesus has authority for my life every day. Whether it's here on Wednesday night in a business meeting, whether it's on Friday when I am talking to a patient, or it's whether I'm at Walmart on a Saturday, Jesus has authority over my life. And then the other is, again, viewed from the air, or from the ground, it's just a healing from the air. It's the reign of God in human hearts. It's liberty and loosing. And so we're going to see two people, and as I talked about it this morning, one guy 
on the outside looks amazing. He's got on his suit and tie. He goes to church every Sunday. He's there every time the door opens. But underneath, he's a hot mess because he is bound by ritual and tradition. And you have the second lady who on the outside looks a hot mess. She's bent. People think she's a freak. On the inside, she is a daughter of Abraham and she's bound by Satan and needs to be freed. And one leaves that synagogue loose and one leaves that synagogue even more bent out of shape than he was when he got there. So let's look at the actual healing. We're going to look at first the torment she endured. Look at verse 11. There was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. Note first, Luke says what? It was a woman. Why wasn't it a man? Does it matter? It really don't matter. But the point is this. Luke focuses on women and children and the outcasts more than any other gospel. Jesus was revolutionary in his treatment of women. I really do not understand how some people think that Christianity and good treatment of women, the right treatment of women, does not go hand in hand. They obviously have never read the Bible. Because Jesus highly valued women more so than ever it was valued in His day and age. It was revolutionary. And so Luke goes on to tell us about this woman that she was afflicted physically. This word disabling, that's what is in my ESV translation, is the word asthenia. A without and asthenia strength, without strength. But it's more than just being weak. It's to emphasize that she was handicapped, that she was disabled. Imagine if she showed up in our church today, she would have to park in the handicapped parking spot because she would not be able to get in. She would have to use the ramp. Somebody would have to probably help her in and help her to her seat. She was bent over. The Greek word there means literally this, at a 90 degree angle. A. Reddle Short says the bones of her spine were fused into a rigid mass. One translation in the Bible says she was so twisted and bent over with arthritis she couldn't even look up. What Luke is likely describing is a condition called ankylosing spondylitis. It's a chronic progressive form of arthritis in which your whole spine gets inflamed. It starts in your 20s to 30. It causes severe back pain. Any of you ever had back pain? I wouldn't work, uh, wish it on my worst enemy. It was severe back pain that was worse at night and in the morning, severely stiff. It would cause pain and spasm so that then you would do this. Any of you ever, ever had back pain in which you then would have to adopt some type of position? You can ask my wife when my disc was ruptured, this is how I walked. Sideways. So imagine that slowly you walk more and more sideways you walk more and more forward and eventually you can't straighten up and eventually you're literally bent at a 90 degree angle. That was this woman. Dr. Spurgeon said she walked about as if she were searching for a grave and Dr. Hughes said she probably wished she could find one. Now note with me, why does she have this? Why does she have it? It's in the text. You find it. Why does she have this? A disabling spirit. And down in verse 16 it says that she was bound by who? Satan. Satan. 
Which brings to mind this. Why do we get sick? Have you ever heard some pastors say Christians shouldn't get sick? I don't know what Bible or universe they're really living in. But why do we get sick? Well, let me give you three things all in, in AL. First is just statistical. We live in a fallen, broken world, and guess what? Unless Jesus comes back, you're going to die of something because the Bible is clear. The wages of sin is what? Yeah. Death. And that means physical death. You're going to die of something. Statistically, you've got to get something. You can do all the genetic analysis you want, and it can say that I may die of Alzheimer's or this and that, but I might get hit by a bus. It's just statistics. Sometimes patients will say, well, man, I'm not going to take that pill you gave me. It's got too many side effects. And I say, sir, are you going to get in your vehicle and drive home today? And they say, yeah. I say, why have you not read the statistics on dr driving? It's more dangerous than that pill I gave you. Statistically, something is going to happen to us. And then there's personal. Guess what if I drink like a fish, alcohol, all day long? Guess what's probably going to happen to my body? Sick. I'm going to get cirrhosis of the liver. My brain's going to just melt. My nerves are going to be shot. My heart's going to develop cardiomyopathy. What if I smoke my brains out? You're going to get something. Heart disease. COPD. Cancer. Something. So sometimes it's personal. Third is, sometimes it's spiritual. Do you think that sometimes God punishes us our sin with illness? That's what the Bible teaches. Some of you have taken the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner and that's why you are sick and some have died. Now we don't like to talk about that. But then there's also demonic oppression and possession. So the belief in, this, in Jesus' day and time was this, that it was spiritual and you deserved what you got. If you had some debilitating illness, if you had COPD, heart disease, cancer, ankylosing spondylitis like this woman, it was because you were a terrible sinner and you deserved it. And so do you think because of that, do you think folks were like, well, how you doing, Miss Jones? How you doing today? We just love you so. You think that's how they treated her? They saw her. They walked on the other side of the street. Man, I don't want to be over there with that sinner. They tell their kids, don't go touch Miss Jones. Probably ridiculed her. I'll get in there in my notes later. But maybe they called her because she was like this. Maybe they called her Pythagoras. You know the Pythagorean theorem with the 90 degrees? I mean, she walked it bent 90. I mean, this is how we are. This is how human nature is. We come up with mean things to say about people. Now, how long has she got this? 18 years. Can you fathom, even fathom that? That's 216 months, 936 weeks, 6,570 days. And look where she's at. In church. I love Dr. Wiersbe's honesty. He said, if I'd been crippled for 18 years, I wonder if I'd be faithful to worship God week after week in the synagogue. Hmm. Bodie Bachman says, you can't say amen, say ouch. How many folks when disease, disaster, and death hit, they turn their backs on God for good? 
I shared the gospel with a man in my office that was lost, didn't have a relationship with the Lord. And what it came down to is that his child died and died before he could get to the hospital some 50 years ago. And that's terrible. I I've never don't know the pain of what it's like to lose a child, and I pray I never do. But you know Satan had a field day with that one hour of time. Because that one hour of time, he had kept that man captive, imprisoned, bound, and away from the Lord. I think I shared with y'all, I had to go on an ME call. It was sometime last year. The worst ME calls to me are this. We got a baby. We got an eight-month-old. And I literally spent five minutes looking at that baby and 15 minutes out on the front yard talking spiritual with that family. And as I was driving off, I prayed, Lord, please do not let the devil use this to keep them away from you. Brothers and sisters, when disease and disaster and stuff strikes, we cannot turn our back on the Lord. And I think, and I had in my notes here, I mean, I think of so many people at Liberty Baptist Church and here at Crossway Baptist Church. I think of Becky Smith Mm -hmm. on that walker and couldn't hardly even put one foot in front of another. But buddy, she'd get in church every week. And Mr. Billy, Gene Smith, he couldn't even breathe. And on oxygen, couldn't even talk. But he was going to be in church every Sunday. I think of Miss Lois Smith, Miss Nell Baggett. And then I fast forward here to Crossway. I think of Miss Pat was in the hospital literally days after she was up here singing a special for us. And I think of Mr. John Martin Bowers that a lot of people would say, you just stay at home. Your knees are shot. You need new new knees, but you're too old. We ain't going to give you new knees. I love when doctors do that. Well, you need new knees, but you're too old. We ain't going to give them to you. It's like, I mean, if you went and took your car to a shop and they said, well, you need new tires, but I ain't going to give them to you. And that brother is faithful to come in here no matter the pain or the cost every week, week after week, and praise the Lord. Let me ask you this. You think this woman had prayed for healing? You think after 18 years maybe she had gave up? You think maybe she thought, maybe I just deserve this. Which would remind us that God will answer prayer four ways. And only one of them is no. It's either no or this. Yes, and Marty you can have it in that way. In that time. That's the one we love, ain't it? Lord, I want this and I want it that way in this time. And he says, okie dokie. And you're like, yes! I love Jesus. But then there's this one. Marty, you can get it that way 
but a different time. Or Marty, you can get it right now, but I'm going to give it to you in a different way. The one we don't like is, yes, you can get it just like you asked for, but this ain't Burger King. You don't get to have it your way, and it's going to be 18 years. See, we see this one over and over in Scripture. Genesis 25, 21, Isaac and Rebekah. And it says that Isaac prayed to the Lord that they would have children, and the Lord granted it, and she conceived. Yet when you look at the timing, they were married when they were 40, and she didn't have the twins, so they were 60. 20 years. So that should remind us, are we steadfast and persistent in prayer? What does Jesus say you be like in Luke 18? You keep knocking. And you keep praying. That's what he says. That's kingdom praying. Alright? So she was affected physically. She was affected socially. Luke doesn't really point this out. But don't you think she was considered a freak? You think the kids would imitate her? A little six years old be over there walking all crooked? You think the adults judged her? Well, she's just a terrible sinner. What do you think happened to her? How do you think she ate? She couldn't work. There's no social security system. Couldn't go file for disability. Maybe her own family had abandoned her. Then she ached emotionally. I wonder when the last time was somebody talked to her or even touched her. I wonder if anybody ever invited her over to their house for coffee. I wonder if they helped her carry in her groceries. I wonder if they showed her any love whatsoever. You think she had a Barnabas in her life? Brothers and sisters, this ain't a place for us to come and just soak up Jesus. This ain't no museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. And I heard pastor that I love on Facebook put it right between the eyes to us this week. You want to hoop and holler about how bad America is? When's the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? Have we aborted the mission? Are we calling up folks? Are we being loving towards them? And here's what I love. I don't know how much she ate, but I know this. Jesus knew every little pain and suffering she had. I love uh, the song by Jeremy Cowell. He knows. I don't know what you're going through, brothers and sisters, but I know this. Jesus knows. I know He knows every hurt and every sting, and He's walked to suffering, and I know He's a chain breaker. Then finally, she was attacked spiritually. Verse 11, it was a disabling spirit. Verse 16, Satan had her bound. And so, really what this all was about was, I think, demonic oppression, not possession, because it says that she was a daughter of Abraham. But brothers and sisters, when we walk around and see people that are lost, what we ought to really see is people that are in bondage. That might change how we look at them. Alright, so that's the torment she endured. Let's look at the touch she experienced. Verse 12 and 13. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are free from your disability. He laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight. First we read when Jesus saw her, so we see his compassion. He's teaching, his eyes are scanning the crowd, he's ever sensitive of the needs of others, and boom, he suddenly becomes aware of this woman. Wasn't she thankful that Jesus saw her? 
Ain't you thankful that Jesus saw you? And then there's confrontation. Jesus is purposely engaging the religious leaders. Let me ask you, could He have waited until the next day and healed this woman? So why does He heal her on this day? Part of it is because He wants to point out to the religious leaders how far away from God they really were. They thought they were automatic ends. They thought they already had the golden ticket to heaven. And Jesus is saying, you are completely lost. To say that rules and religion are not more important than people made in the image of God. What are the two greatest commandments? Is it possible to fulfill the first without fulfilling the second? That's why they go together. So he called her over. Why didn't Jesus go to her? Can't he see she's crippled? Don't you think on the one hand this seems kind of heartless? Be embarrassing. How many of you would like to be at a church where there's 2,000 people and they say, when, if you were crippled, say, now come on up, Jimmy. Come on up. We're going to lay hands on you, brother. You can't even walk. Why do you think he was bringing her up there? And think about what's going on. You think she just like said, oh, okay, Jesus, here I come. Now I'm here. It was five seconds. It probably took her forever to get up there, didn't it? It was painful. I'm sure some in the, in the, in the church, I can just see them because I've seen these looks on people's faces. Now what is Jesus doing? Does He not know that we have church? That we're in the middle of church? What is going on? I can't wait till we get home to have roast preacher and talk about this and what the preacher did this Sunday. Now y'all laugh because why? Y'all know that mess is true. Every one of you do it. Every Sunday. I'm kidding. Including You think you could hear a pin drop? You think every eye in the synagogue was fixated on her? Let me tell you something. A couple points of application is first this. Flexibility. Do you know the other uh, beatitude that Jesus left out of the Bible? Blessed are the flexible for they won't get bent out of shape. Be flexible. Second is this. Worship. I'm going to let all of y'all in on a little secret. And y'all might not know about it and it's going to hurt your pride. But here it is. Worship ain't about you. Amen. I ain't here to worship Buffy Cook. And neither are y'all. Y'all didn't come to hear me preach because if you did, you'd have stayed home. You came to hear from the Lord. And you came to worship the God who sent His Son to save you. And that is Jesus. You came for Him. Worship is about J-O-Y. First, it's about Jesus. First and foremost. Satan is in the house. And it is time for his butt to get out. Which really reminds us what Dr. McGee said. Did you know that there's a devil in every church? And sometimes you need to get them out. The O is about others. This woman needs to be freed. And glory, hallelujah, we would interrupt the church service that she could be freed. Amen? Amen. And then finally, why? It's about you. Listen to how Jesus called her. And He said to her, Woman. Now we don't have tone and inflection in the Bible 
But I imagine that was the most tender word she had heard in 18 years. And can I tell you, some of y'all today in here are probably bound by others' opinion of you. Do you know with the name Buffy that for 18 years, from the time I was born until the time I graduated high school, I was bound by other people's opinion of myself? You need freed from that. And then Jesus says, you are freed. Y'all remember the E.F. Hutton commercials? When E.F. Hutton talks, what? People listens. When Jesus talks, all of creation not only listens, it obeys. And Jesus did in point zero five two nine three seven seconds what no one had done in 567 million seconds. So that's the torment she endured, the touch she experienced, the transformation she enjoyed. Look here at what it says. And she glorified God. Mm. Immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Any of you ever been to the doctor when you were sick? What did they say at the end of the visit? Well, you will be feeling better in... Two weeks. Two days. Two months. Ever had one say, you're going to be feeling better immediately. You ever gone to the doctor and you had something serious and they said, well, we ought to have you well of this in six months. Never. Did any of them say, we'll have you well of this immediately? I love that about Jesus. When he healed Peter's mother-in-law, it said, and the fever left her, and immediately she got up and served him. When the paralytic, when Jesus healed him, did it say that he picked up his mat and left a week later? Immediately he got that mat and walked out of that building. The woman with the issue of blood that nobody could cure for 12 years, did it say when she touched Jesus that six months later she stopped having the bleeding problem? It said immediately. The blind man, when he healed him, it said and immediately he got his sight. And here, this woman bent double 18 years. Jesus said, you are free. Boom. Immediately she was healed. You ever seen somebody go in for a back surgery and they say, well, we got you. We, we, we got the, the uh, curve that was at 90 degrees. It's now you know, just uh, at 3 degrees. I got a man I saw this week had knee replacement. He said, yeah, this thing clinks and clumps and everywhere and you know, now it's messing up my hip. When a doctor heals you, there's still a little something off. When Jesus heals you, it's 100% straight and there are no clinks or no clumps. And so she glorified God. That is the imperfect tense. That means she glorified God and she glorified God and she glorified God and she glorified God. And I wonder what she did. I wish I could have been there. I don't know if she crashed at Jesus' feet sobbing. I don't know if she knocked Him down hugging Him. I don't know if this was when I had my bad to Pentecostal moment. She ran out the synagogue and threw open the doors and hallelujah, for the first time in 18 years, looked up at the sunshine. One pastor said no reporter could have written all her praise down because she spoke not only in words but with her eyes, her hands, her upright body, her rising soul. 
She was in those moments the most eloquent woman in the universe. Alright, so that's the kingdom of God manifested. We're going to go quickly through this. The kingdom of God rejected. So this uh, later, look at verse 14. He was indignant. Why? Jesus healed on the Sabbath. That word indignant, you know what it means in the Greek? It literally means what Vicky showed in the spoon. To go from this to this. Straight to bent out of shape. She left. She came in, bent out of shape. She left straight up. He came in straight up and left, bent out of shape. And look at this. Who's he mad at? Who is he ultimately mad at? Jesus. Who does he yell at? Look at it. He said to the people. He's mad at Jesus and he yells at the people. There's six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Here is basically what he said. Y'all got six other days to get healed on and have the audacity to come get healed on the Lord's day in the Lord's house. What's wrong with you folks? Can't you see we're trying to be good, little, proper Jews and have a nice, quiet, proper little service? I mean, this is laughable. What do you think if that had been his wife he would wanted Jesus to do? Stop that church service and heal her right then. Don't you think for the last 5,000 something days, 616 days, she had been coming on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday and asking folks to heal her and had not gotten healed? Yes. Well, let's cut him a little slack. First, the Sabbath rules. I mean, these things were based on tradition and not Scripture. Put in your notes, or you've heard me say this, but it's a new little twist. It might be biblical, but it ain't Jewish, and we ain't going to do it. That's essentially what he said. So Jesus had healed. It constituted work. He broke the Sabbath, so a rebuke is in order. But he gives it to the people, not Jesus. Second, let me ask you, had Jesus actually worked? Look at what it says. He saw, called, said, laid hands. Let me ask you this. Had the synagogue ruler not probably done this same thing with his wife earlier that day. Let me explain. Do you think he saw her? Did he call out her name? Did he say, I love you? Hope so. Did he lay his hands on her and kiss her? Hope so. Did he work? Did Jesus work? See how retarded this argument is. This is stupid. It's hypocritical nonsense. Not to mention, nowhere in Scripture is it said that you can't heal. And think about it. If they did come, and she came back the next day, you think he could do anything about it? No, I highly doubt it. And then most importantly is this. As we said, love God and love people is the greatest thing in the kingdom. Listen to how Dr. Hughes puts this. Listen to what he says about this man. What a slab of ecclesiastical granite. He had no heart to pity the poor bent woman's plight, no eye for the beauty of Christ's compassion, no soul to rejoice with a woman's deliverance, no ear for the music of her praise. He was a chicken-hearted religious snob. His heart was pumping great amounts of formaldehyde. He breathed arsenic. He fancied he was a lover of the law, yet his lack of love for the woman showed he did not love his neighbors as himself, indicating he did not love God. Let me tell you, little has changed in 2,000 years. 
church folks still get bent all out of shape over the dumbest stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I said, blessed are the flexible. We still get bent out of shape over religious rules and tradition instead of the needs of people. We still put ritual and religion over love and people created in the image of God. Let me ask you a very poignant question. Mr. Martin explained to you what a protractor is, but y'all know what a protractor is, don't you? It tells you how bent you are. If God come and put a protractor up against Buffy Cook, up against you, how bent out of shape are you about stuff you don't need to be bent out of shape about? Alright, the kingdom of God manifested, rejected, finally defended. In one word, subject of Jesus' sermon is this, loosed. Notice, did Jesus say, you hypocrite? Yeah, it's plural. It's plural. Mm-hmm. Why do you think it's plural? The crowd was thinking the same thing. And Jesus in his omniscience, reading their thoughts, knew what they were thinking. They profess zeal for the law. They profess love for God. Yet, they didn't really even love God because they didn't love people. First off, nothing in Scripture forbade the watering of animals. Nothing in Scripture forbade the giving of medicine or healing. Let me ask you, is it always lawful to do good? Would you ever come upon the scene of an accident in which you saw someone ejected from the vehicle, lying bloody on the ground, and say, well, I'm in my good church clothes. Guess I best keep on driving. Would you ever do that? Isn't that in essence what this guy did? Second, their Sabbath traditions put a higher value on animals because the scripture or their tradition was, hey, you can go out and loose your animal and take it and get some water. They put a higher value on animals than people. Mm. Sounds familiar. Does that sound familiar? Mm-hmm. Sounds like our country. Mm-hmm. We're more worried about the plastic straws we got killing the whales than the people in our country dying and going to hell. Third, the leaders were condemned by their own practices. Jesus uses Jewish logic from the light to the heavy. He says, y'all show compassion to animals, but you won't even show it to humans. One pastor said, any tradition that keeps us from helping others is not from God. And another said, our rules often say more about us than about our God. Finally, what is the kingdom all about? The kingdom really is an epic battle. Who is king? Jesus. But who is the little G-O-D of this world? Satan. And what's been going on since Genesis 3? Since Genesis 3 to this very moment in the story, the devil was working to steal, kill, and destroy. What was Jesus working to do? To bring them abundant life and loose them. What better way to celebrate the Sabbath than to loose folks from old Slewfoot on the Sabbath in the Lord's house. Amen? Mm-hmm. So what was the result of this healing? Number one, his adversaries were put to shame. Mm-hmm. 
Jesus had divine power and compassion, and they were doing what? Criticizing him. Jesus had annihilated there. It might be biblical, but it ain't Jewish, and we ain't going to do it. Logic. Second, all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. Jesus had divine power and compassion, and guess what he used it for? The welfare of the people of God created in the image of God. And their own religious leaders wouldn't even do the same. In closing, two Christians had lived very good and very healthy lives. And they die and they go to heaven. They're walking along. And Jesus is leading them by the hand through the promised land. And man, they're just marveling at the paradise around them. And one turns to the other and says, Wow, I never knew heaven was going to be as good as this. And the other says, Yeah, and just think, if we hadn't eaten all that oatmeal, we could have gotten here ten years earlier. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, the kingdom of God is not something we experience 30 years down the line when we're done eating our oatmeal and the Lord calls us home. It's something we can get a foretaste of right here, right now. Build your kingdom here. The lyrics earlier said, to see the captive hearts release. Is that your prayer? To see the hurt, the sick, the poor at peace. Is it your hope and prayer to see spiritually dead people not made good but made alive in Jesus? To see the twisted made straight. And then the song goes on to say, We lay down our lives for heaven's cause. We are your church and we pray revive this earth. I don't think we're going to see more poignantly the kingdom of God reigning in human hearts more in the life of our church than what we will over the next two weeks. Earlier I said it was about authority. And Jesus being Lord, one of our own, having lined himself up under the Lord and his teachings is going to go halfway around the world to fulfill the great commission and love on people he's never even met. Mm -hmm. Why? Because he loves Jesus, that's what. Because God is reigning in that man's heart. And we, having lined ourselves up under the Lord and His teachings, know we ought to support men like this. And so we have supported Him financially, and we're going to continue to support Him prayerfully. And Melissa, no, you will get through it. The Lord will see you through it. You don't think so? You can call my wife every day. I ain't been to Pakistan, but I've been to Africa, and there were many times she didn't go with me, and she had to face the same thing you're doing. I encourage you to be praying, not just for Jimmy, but for her. Any of you ever said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief? Mm -hmm. We need that. We need to lift her up just as much as we need to lift up Jimmy. And then liberty, loosen. What's going to be the fruit of him going halfway around the world? And that we have supported him. Men, women, and children are going to be loosed. And can I tell you, the devil don't like letting his children go. So he's already going to have plans in place to mess them up along the way. 
So we need to pray that Satan would be bound and they would have a glorious journey and there would be a huge fruit that would come from it. And you know what Jesus is going to do? This is how he does math. He's going to multiply all their fruit to our account because we've prayerfully and financially supported him. So here's how we're going to close the service. I know it's probably a little different. We're not even going to you know, have an invitation song. What we're going to do is I'm going to have Jimmy come down. We can, if we'll get two chairs, one for Jimmy and one for Melissa. And we're going to pray for this brother that is going halfway around the world to share the life-transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. But then we're going to pray for his wife too. A, on the one hand, she's probably tore because her life is going to be more sane because Jimmy's gone. <laughs> on the other, it's going to be more insane because now she's got these kids to deal with all on her own. But seriously, we're going to pray for both of them. And I would say that we should throw in there this prayer. Not just that Jimmy's gone halfway around the world to Pakistan, but let me tell you something. Marty Bowers is going to the mission field when we leave out of here today to Covington High School. We got all of us that are going on to the mission field. I don't care if it's at MMG Brighton. I don't care if it's at Walmart. I don't care if it's at the jail. I don't care if it's at FedEx, at Brighton High. Brothers and sisters, we need to start seeing that what we do when we go out those doors is not leave church. We're going to the mission field. Jesus said there's plenty of folks out there to get saved. The harvest is plentiful. We don't need more harvest. We need folks willing to go out there and work. So let's not only pray for Jimmy, let's not only pray for Melissa and the Hicks family, but let's pray for ourselves as well that we would be faithful to share the gospel everywhere we go. Amen. Let me pray for us quickly and then I'm going to ask Jimmy and let's come down and we'll gather around him as a church and pray. Father, we just thank you so much for this day. Father, I just love you so much. Father, I love your word as well. Father, I love this beautiful picture of Jesus coming to this poor woman and freeing her. Father, I pray that it would be on our minds and hearts so much this week that, Father, we can't help but go forth and glorify God by sharing the blessed gospel of Jesus Christ with as many people who hear us before they tell us to be quiet. Lord, I thank you so much that we have a man amongst our midst that is willing to go halfway around the world to train pastors that they can go into the whole of Pakistan and win men, women, and children that are bent double by sin and by Satan and that they would be freed by the chain breaker, Jesus Christ. And it's in His wonderful and precious name that I pray. Amen. Amen. So Jimmy, if you